This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, March 16th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor and chief film critic, Chris Evangelista. Hello. Chris, uh, I think it's time for us to finally reunite for an old school news episode. It's been a while since you and I have done one of these, but there's actually been a decent amount of uh, movie news breaking over the past, let's call it, week. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, one of the first things that I want to talk about is Quentin Tarantino is uh, evidently lining up what may or may not be his final movie, uh, which is I think going to be called The Movie Critic, and filming I think begins this fall. Um, what was your reaction when you heard about this, Chris? Because obviously Tarantino is like one of your guys. Yeah, I'm excited for this. Uh, I also know that when and if this happens, uh, film Twitter will explode because none of them, no one knows how to react properly to Quentin Tarantino movies. And the fact that this is about a film critic is going to have, uh, like I said, film Twitter is going to be like, no, what's he doing with this movie? And it's going to be, uh. (laughs) A real shit show. I can't wait. It's going to be exciting. I saw somebody in our Slack say, is this going to be the first time that somebody makes a movie involving a critic character that doesn't like actively loathe movie critics? Um, and that was, a, I thought, an interesting observation because there are so, like Birdman, I think, is probably the, the key example off the top of my head of a movie where there's a, a stand-in for you know, a, a movie critic. I think it's a theater critic in that film. And uh, it's basically just an excuse for that director to use that character as a punching bag and like, you know, um, air all of his grievances with uh, critics that he's encountered over the years. Um, Tarantino does not strike me as somebody who, you know, he, he like actively reads movie websites like ours and, and you know, is is very engaged in film criticism and like writing film criticism of his own. And I think that's part of his, uh, plan for the next phase of his career. Um, so what do you think about that that concept? Yeah, I don't see him doing a movie where a film critic is like clueless and, and stupid. And his that, that recent book he published, The Cinema Speculation, is it's all about the 70s and, and films of that era. And this is apparently going to be, this movie is apparently set in the 70s. So it does seem like he's on like a, a tangent right now of what he wants to focus on. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the um, the movie critic, this film, is supposed to be set in the late 70s, and it is going to revolve around a female protagonist. I think that's those are the only details that are like 100% confirmed, but uh, the Hollywood Reporter was speculating that maybe this is going to be about Pauline Kael, who is like one of the most famous film critics uh, who ever lived. And she worked for Paramount Pictures for a little bit in the 70s. So like, it's possible that Tarantino is sort of doing his riff on that kind of um, template, I guess. Uh, what do you think if, if that ends up being true? Um, what do you think about that that story? Do you know much about Kale and, and that uh, period of her life and career? I'm not like an expert on it, but I know of it, how she was basically courted to come out to Hollywood by uh, Warren Beatty, of all people, who, you know, was, you know, come out and write for Hollywood. And, she, you know, she didn't really enjoy her time out there. Uh, I'm I'm skeptical if that's what this film is about. But if it is, I can't I don't expect it to be like a biopic. Like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't seem like the thing Tarantino would do. Like, I'm mm-hmm. if it's inspired by the Pauline Kael era, I'm sure it'll be a, a, you know, fictionalized thing, or it's going to be another one of his, um, his alternate histories where he's taking real people and and dropping them into, you know, his version of, of what happened. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm skeptical, but I, yeah, like I said, I I don't think it's going to be like uh, a straight up Pauline Kael movie. Yeah. What do you make about the idea that this is his, uh, his 10th and final film as he has been claiming? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to th- feel about that because he, you know, he's been saying this for a while. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't really want him to retire. So there's a part of me that's like he's probably not being honest. But I guess we'll see. I mean, it does seem like even if he does retire from making making films, he's still going to be doing other stuff. You know, he's got his books now, and I, me- I remember a while back he was talking about writing a play, and mm-hmm. so. He's also he's also one of those guys who just says a lot of stuff that doesn't happen. Like he's he's constantly <laughs> talking about th- you know projects that never re- realized and so yet. So I wouldn't be surprised if he retires for like a little while and then says, you know what, I'm going to come back and make more movies. So uh, yeah, yeah. I was wondering if he just basically meant that I'm going to be retiring from uh, making movies and maybe he would shift into doing limited series stuff or, you know, TV shows working for streamers, whatever. There was that whole period right after um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he actually wrote out the uh, all those episodes of, um, what was the Western show? that Bounty Law. <laughs> Bounty Law. Yes, that's right. Uh, so I think there are like completed scripts sitting around um, for that. And, and he's spoken, like you, like you mentioned, he's been talking about this for a long time. And I think his, his general argument for those who may have not heard his comments before is that like, he thinks that historically speaking, directors kind of drop off near the end of their career. And he wanted to, um, you know, keep a a level of consistent quality across, you know, his entire filmography. He didn't want to fall prey to, um, a lot of the things that the, the sort of um, pitfalls that a lot of other uh, directors have experienced over time, he, he wants to like um, really be proud and stand behind his body of work as a as a filmmaker. Um, so I wonder if he if he would be interested in doing this as his you know quote unquote tenth movie, his his final film, and then just shifting into other um, means of being behind the camera in other ways or something, you know? Um, what do you think about that idea? Do, does that strike you as something? I just find it hard to believe that he's going to put down a camera and never direct anything after this. You know, it, it seems like, and I, I just don't, he, he loves to write. Obviously he's won 
two Oscars for writing. And as you mentioned, he has this book stuff. He's got plays that he's writing, whatever. But like the idea that he would just transition completely from making stuff to uh, to writing stuff feels um, really abrupt to me. Do you, do you think, what do you think yeah. might happen there? Yeah, I, I don't see that happening, honestly. I just feel like, but then again, at the same time, maybe, maybe it is true. Maybe he's done all he, you know, obviously he's proven himself. He has nothing left to prove. So I, I don't know how how serious he's being but yeah i have a hard time believing he's just gonna quit cold turkey everything yeah okay so let's talk about uh guillermo del toro's uh, possible next movie i'm not sure if he has uh, a timeline on this one lined up yet or not but uh he's gonna be making a frankenstein movie at netflix and this thing has a heck of a cast lined up already or or at least people are in talks to star uh oscar isaac andrew garfield and mia goth are attached or or in conversation to participate in this movie and um obviously del toro uh, you know the idea of him making a, a frankenstein movie is not like a uh, a wild hair idea he, he's very much lives in that sort of um milieu as a filmmaker and I, I think it's fair to say that the original Frankenstein was a big deal for him growing up and, and had a, a great impact on him. What do you think about the idea of him actually stepping in and making his own Frankenstein movie, Chris? Yeah, this is perfect. Uh, he's been talking about doing this for a while. Uh, along, He's another one who talks about projects all the time that don't actually happen. Um, but it does seem like now that he's won several Oscars, like not only did he win Best Picture for uh, the Shape of Water, he just won Best Animated Feature for his Pinocchio, which really plays like a Frankenstein movie for, for some uh, scenes. So hmm. like the, there's the scene where Geppetto creates Pinocchio and he does it like during this storm and it's like, ah, just like Frankenstein. So uh, this, this is a perfect project for him. I, I can't wait to see what he's doing. I'm, I'm glad he's got this clout now where it seems like he can pretty much do whatever he wants, especially uh, with Netflix. So um, yeah, I can't wait for this. Yeah. I'm curious what you think about the casting too. Andrew Garfield, Oscar Isaac, Mia Goth. I I think um, maybe it was Deadline or something said that Mia Goth may be like a love interest type of character. I was kind of bummed to hear that because she has been been such a force of nature in the the short time on screen that I've been aware of her really um, with like Pearl and X and, and, uh, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's movie, um, which just came out earlier this year. What is it called again? I forgot the Infinity name. Infinity Pool. Infinity Pool. Thank you. Um, she's just like such a, uh, a whirlwind of a performer. Like I almost would love to see her as Frankenstein's monster in this movie, but it sounds like yeah. that's not going to happen. Um, what do you think about uh, about this trio? This is a great cast. The, I, I like all these people, and uh, I'm not sure who is playing them. I can't picture either. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure who's going to play the monster and who's going to play the the doctor. But I'm very curious to see how it all plays out. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that is a solid cast. Um, this is this is a project I'm very excited about. And I hope we get to see it sooner rather than later. I hope it doesn't take like five years to happen or something like that. Yeah, I also hope it doesn't like succumb to the Netflix thing of just sort of getting lost in the algorithm. But I guess based on the fact that he has signed this deal with Netflix and they they really went out of their way to push his Pinocchio and, and give that like a big um, marketing spend and, and really got behind it in a big way for uh, the awards campaign, which obviously paid off in a big way for them. Um, I, I hope that something similar might happen with this movie where they're actually going to be like, Hey, we have like one of the world's preeminent (laughs) directors working for us. Let's, you know, actually 
put this on the homepage and like make a big deal with it instead of just, uh, you know, it disappearing like so many other Netflix projects. But yeah. um, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, uh, Andrew Garfield and Oscar Isaac. Like I, as we were sitting here talking about it, I, I just, I, I'm picturing both of them in either role. And it reminds me of like the, um, that project a, a while back where, uh, who was it? Benedict Cumberbatch and, um, Johnny Lee Miller. Yeah. Johnny Lee Miller did the, the sort of reverse, like, uh, the stage version of, uh, of was it, it was Frankenstein, right? Yeah. And, uh, Danny Boyle directed it, I believe. Yeah. Um, and then like they would switch roles every other night or something like that. Every, every so often during the, uh, performance or during the, the run of that performance. So, um, yeah, it was just like, you know, Andrew Garfield, obviously like, tall gangly type of dude like i could see him as a monster but i could also see him as like the, the tortured uh inventor type so yeah um yeah I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens there okay so let's take a quick break and then we will be right back all right so we're talking about netflix projects here's one that is uh, evidently not going to be a netflix project anymore which is nancy meyer's new movie um nancy meyer's the the uh director behind movies like the parent trap and the holiday and it's complicated uh and and the intern um has not made a movie in several years now and she was going to be making a movie for netflix called uh paris paramount which may or may not have been the actual title it's probably just a working title um but it's i guess the idea of it would be that it would be about uh basically like two uh, a young writer director who falls in love with a producer and they split up and then they're forced to work together again when a new project comes together. Um, and I guess it's supposed to be sort of quasi autobiographical because she was married to Charles Shire and the two of them made movies together for the first uh, few years of, of their careers in Hollywood uh, before they got divorced. So um, yeah, the, this, the issue with this movie, I guess, is that uh, Nancy Myers wanted $150 million for the budget. Um, and the, the movie is supposed to have uh, Scarlett Johansson and Owen Wilson and uh, I think Penelope Cruz and Michael Fassbender on, in the cast, which is like an incredible <laughs> group of people. And it sounds awesome. I would love to see them work uh, with Nancy Myers in this capacity. Uh, 150 bucks, I guess, or $150 million was, I guess, a little bit too much for Netflix's uh, uh, accountants, though, because they basically said, like, we'll give you $130 million and they couldn't come to terms. And so Netflix was like, okay, fine, forget it, whatever. This movie's just not happening anymore. So uh, what do you make of this, Chris? Like, I, I have to imagine that you have some some thoughts on this. You know, there's a part of me that's like, oh, $150 million, what rom-com needs to cost that much? But then there's a part of me that's like, good for her for sticking to her guns because... Like you said, they offered her a little less, like, we'll give you this. And she was like, no, this is what I want. And I, it's good that she stuck up to that. And also, like, <laughs> if Netflix can give, you know, the Russo brothers, who are, I think it's fair to say at this point, are utter hacks who suck at making movies. I'm sorry, <laughs> but they're really bad. Uh, if they, you know, they can dump a fortune into the, the Russo brothers, uh, but they can't give Nancy Myers this money. It's like, you know what? Why not? Why, why not her? If, if the Russo brothers can get uh, multiple projects and, and big budgets, why not Nancy Myers? So yeah, it, it's like, it, it, it's it, like I said, it, it, I, I'm, I'm of two ways of this because yeah, 150 million is a lot for a rom-com. Like what the hell are they buying with that money? I guess like the cat, like a cast that big needs you know, big salaries and stuff like that, but still mm -hmm. it's, you know, it, it's, 
what you know, Netflix, you you got the money. I, yeah. I get, or maybe you don't if you're broke. <laughs> they claim they're broke, but they keep spending money on stuff. So I feel like if you're going to spend money, why not spend money on Nancy Myers? Yeah, we're going to get, um, you know, The Gray Man 2 and Red Notice 2 and these movies yes. that are probably going to cost $200 million or whatever. So like the idea of adding Nancy Myers to that top tier of filmmakers who gets that, who, who commands that level of, um, of money is is not you know out of the realm of possibility certainly they just evidently don't want to, to do it in this case which is really unfortunate because uh i mean it's a bad look uh for one thing but also like i'm just sad that we're not going to see this project at least in in this form um the other thing that you know i think a lot of people have, have had that same thought chris of like why on earth would it cost this much money and i guess one of the reasons and and you know i don't know if listeners know this or not but like uh we we probably have talked about this over the years, but like the way that Netflix makes movies is so different than the way that a, a typical uh, Hollywood studio would make a movie where like, you know, for something like um, The Purge, for example, uh, Ethan Hawke like basically worked for scale, worked for like the lowest amount that you can make as a, a member of SAG and then just got crazy points on the back end. Like, you know, once the movie made a certain amount of money at the, at the box office, he started pulling in, you know, a big percentage of the profits on that film. Um, Netflix doesn't work that, like that. They pay everybody up front and then that's it. Like they don't get anything else down the line. So I think the, the number that I heard was that something like $80 million of the, 150 that she wanted was going to go to just paying out the cast, which is a, a lot of money for, you know, uh, big name people like that. Um, but that makes sense. And that that's a, it's a huge chunk. And that's a, you know, it, it makes, um, it sort of puts things into perspective a little bit and makes that number not seem quite as ridiculous when you realize like the, the different economics that go into um, making a Netflix movie versus a, another type of studio movie or something. So I uh, just wanted to put that out there in case people are interested in, in wondering what the hell is going on with this. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that's it for the, the Nancy Myers thing. Um, let's get into some DCU talk, Chris. I know this is one of your favorite subjects. Oh, yeah. uh, so uh, Ben Affleck, um, it's a really weird scenario here. So when James Gunn and, and Peter Safran took over the DC universe not too long ago, I think this was earlier this year, uh, James Gunn came out and said that they were working with Ben Affleck, who wants to be a part of the quote unquote architectural team trying to bring things together. And he really wants to direct one of our projects. We're excited for him doing that. So that was a couple months ago. And then Ben Affleck just appeared in, uh, I guess he was profiled in The Hollywood Reporter. And uh, they basically asked him, like, hey, what's the deal with your situation over at, at DC? Are you planning on directing anything? And I'm just going to read you his quote. I would not direct something for the gun DC. Absolutely not. I have nothing against James Gunn. Nice guy. Sure, he's going to do a great job. I just wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't want to go in and direct in the way they're doing that. I'm not interested in that. Uh, it, it's rare to me, Chris, that anyone in Hollywood speaks with that level of... Um, I don't know, uh, forthrightness, candor, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Uh, what did you think when you read that quote, especially given the the knowledge that James Gunn had just been very public about, hey, we want to, we're, we're in conversations with Ben Affleck about working on something. It's weird uh, in general to me because uh, it's not weird that he doesn't want to do it because, uh, you know, that whatever, that makes sense to me. It's the phrasing that really throws me off because he said, I'm, what is it? He said, I don't want to do it the way they're doing things. Or yeah, I, I just wouldn't want to go in and direct in the way they're doing that. 
Yeah, like I don't understand what he means by. It. I mean, obviously he he's going to have more insight than us because he he was probably in meetings and stuff like that with, with James Gunn or whatever. But I'm very curious to like what he means by that that specific wording where he's mm-hmm. he's like you know there's something about the way they're doing things over there that doesn't appeal to him. I'm very curious to see what it is. But at the same time, he could just be tired of of doing this. He could be tired of just, you know, being part of that, that whole DC uh, world. And uh, I, you know, I'm glad he's got, he's got that new movie coming out called air about uh, air Jordans. And I like Ben Affleck as a, as a actor and a director. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see him get back to filmmaking because he hasn't made anything since I think it was called live by night, which was bad. That was, that was a (laughs) bad movie, but uh I like his other one. I think Gone Baby Gone is great. I really like The Town, even though it's like a knockoff of a million other movies. But uh, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm excited for him to get back. I even like Argo. I know Argo has become sort of like a punchline where it's like I can't believe that one Best Picture. But I actually rewatched that not too long ago, and I think that that holds up as a you know a Hollywood drama. It's it's very well made. So uh, I kind of like the idea of Ben Affleck just getting away from DC shit and getting back to uh, you know making his own stuff. So I haven't read the whole profile and for all I know, he's, he even says stuff like that in that interview. But uh, yeah, it's just very weird to me that James Gunn came out and was like, Ben Affleck wants to work with us. And it doesn't sound like that quote doesn't sound like, you know, he did want to work with them and change his mind. It just sounds like he flat out does not want to work with them. So I really don't know what the hell is going yeah. on with that. Yeah, it's so strange. I, I sort of flagged the same language that you did in that quote and was wondering what was going on. Because in the the um, early days of the, the James Gunn, Peter Safran era of DC, the, the early days of two months ago or whatever, uh, those those um, that big press conference that they held where we had somebody on site uh, participating in that and, and asking them questions and all that kind of stuff. Like a lot of the stories that came out of that were about how they really, truly, genuinely wanted to make or want to make DC a sort of filmmaker friendly um, environment where people can come in and actually like work on the projects that they're making and not um, be rushed to, you know, be forced to hit a, a given release date that's already been, a, a flag has already been planted, you know, months and years in advance. Um, it, it basically just seems like they were going about it the right way. Like they were saying all of the things that um, that everybody wanted to hear. And then Ben, ben Affleck comes in and says, I don't want to participate in, in the way that they're doing this. It's just like, you don't want to make a movie in an ideal circumstance or is there actually more going on here that we don't know about? So um, yeah, very, very curious to see uh, if, if we ever find out like what the, the sort of uh, behind the scenes truth is to, to hit that whole situation. And um, I guess we'll find out like when the first few uh, gun saffron era DC movies start rolling out, if that level of quality and, and um, you know, uh, the, the approach that they were aiming for, if that is actually something that they're able to sort of execute on. Um, so the last story that we wanted to mention is uh, it also involves James Gunn, and that is it, that he is confirmed to direct Superman Legacy, which is the movie that uh, in those, all those announcements in January, uh, he confirmed that he was writing a, a new Man of Steel sort of Superman uh, standalone solo movie um, that is not going to star Henry Cavill. And I, I think the, the concept is that uh, Clark Kent is going to be a young journalist and the official uh, I guess 
uh, plot information that was shared by Warner Brothers today or or yesterday said that uh, Superman Legacy tells the story of Superman's journey to reconcile his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing as Clark Kent of Smallville, Kansas. He is the embodiment of truth, justice, and the American way guided by human kindness in a world that sees kindness as old fashioned. Um, so, you know, there was some speculation that at the time that, oh, James Gunn might direct this movie. And now he has finally confirmed that that's going to happen. The question I have for you, Chris, is, is James Gunn the right person to direct a Superman movie? Because he's a kind of filmmaker who has a little bit of an edge to him. And this approach that they're taking of getting back to the sort of Americana version of Superman, which so many of us have, have yearned for for years, um, it doesn't necessarily strike me as uh, a, a James Gunn type of filmmaking. But do you think he can slip into that mode for something as um, iconic as Superman? Yeah, I think so. Um, like you said, he does have a, a, an edge to, you know, he, he started out in, in Troma, which is like the, the B movie uh, film studio that makes really trashy. They made the Toxic Avengers and stuff like that. So, you know, he comes from that, that uh, school of filmmaking, but he also um, does a really good job with, with building empathy and understanding and, and like real heart into his movies. Like uh, his, his two guardians of the galaxy movies are pretty much like the only Marvel movies I ever feel like revisiting. Like out of all the Marvel movies, I don't really have any interest in sitting down and rewatching any of them except those guardians movies. Cause they, they, uh, they really work for me as, as like standalone, even though there's two of them, they work as like standalone stories and they work as these, like uh, they, they feel like they have real emotions in them. Unlike so many of the other Marvel movies, which just feel like they're just sort of like paint by numbers to me. So I I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does with this property. Um, it, It's nuts to me that Superman has been so hard for filmmakers to crack because it seems like a, such a simple idea. And the fact that, I think that's sort sort of part of the problem that the idea on paper is kind of simple and filmmakers and producers and writers are like, Oh, we can't have it be simple. We got to make it be uh, epic and, and, and dark. And, and, and that, you know, that backfires and gives us stuff like, you know, uh, man of steel, which I know people like, and I do not. So uh, <laughs> I, I do think, uh, you know, that, that log line you read really, gets me excited for what the movie could be. I'm very curious to see, you know, who, who they cast as Superman and what kind of movie this is going to be. I hope it's, it's not like another origin story. We really don't need it at this point. I hope it just starts with, he's already Superman. And, but uh, I guess we'll see how it mm-hmm. plays out because I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in, in, in what James Gunn does with this, this material. Although I do think it was kind of like, sneaky it was kind of like dick cheney where dick cheney was like hired to find the vice president for george w bush and he was like why don't i be the vice president that's <laughs> that's sort of what, what james gunn did here he's just like we're looking for the director and wink wink oh it's gonna be me uh yes james gunn the dick cheney of the dc dick cheney of the dcu i'm not for, for the record i'm not saying james gunn is as evil as dick cheney i'm just saying it was that same sort of scenario where he was just like i'll find a director <laughs> and he was like why don't i do it like oh james gunn 
you sneak. Uh, Why don't you just tell us that to begin with? Because like, <laughs> we all knew you were going to do it. That's very funny. Uh, he said in in this uh, Twitter thread that he he wasn't sure if he could find a way in to um, that that felt unique and fun and emotional that gave Superman the dignity he deserved. But he finally cracked that story. So I guess um, you know he. he came around to the idea there. And then he said that in many ways, it centers on Superman, Superman's heritage, how both his uh, aristocratic Kryptonian parents and his Kansas farmer parents inform who he is and the choices that he makes. So yeah, that's an interesting thing. Like the, um, I, I feel like a lot of the other Superman movies kind of have those um, parental figures as uh in you know one side is in one column and the other one is in another column and i guess you you kind of get the sense that like they're being synthesized into clark kent slash superman throughout the movie but this seems like it's really going to focus on that and make that like you know pulling a little bit from from both sides of those influences as like a, a key part of the narrative here which is uh kind of fascinating and it's something that um that seems a little abstract. So I'm curious how that's actually going to be translated in into live action, you know, and unless we have like a bunch of internal um, narration of what he's thinking, which do- doesn't sound like a good idea. So um, <laughs> I, I trust James Gunn to, to come up with something interesting there. Um, let me end with a tangent, Chris. You mentioned the Guardians movies and those being things that you like to revisit occasionally. Uh, I only saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 one time in theaters and have not rewatched it since. And I remember feeling a little underwhelmed by it because I loved that first Guardians movie so much. And I, I didn't love how um, Rocket and Peter Quill were sort of um, at each other's throats a little bit in the second movie. And they were kind of split apart or that that's that same like getting the gang together vibe wasn't quite there in the in that second movie. Um, what do you think about uh, volume two in the in the times that you've rewatched it? Have you um is where does it stand sort of in your estimation i really like part two um i I do i do see what you're saying there with that that line but it i do think it has a a bigger emotional hook specifically with how it goes about um it's sort of that same thing with with the superman thing where it's about uh peter quill being pulled by two different parents here he's got yondu who's like who's his like surrogate father and then he's got his real father who's the, the kurt russell character who's a you know, monster. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, he's, you know, he's, he's spent all his life looking for his, his real father. And he, you know, his real father was there all along. And, you know, that could be corny in in the wrong hands, but I really think uh, James Gunn sells it really well in that movie. And uh, I really liked the emotional through line for that film. So, uh, you know, I, I think the first movie is more fun. It's, it's, you know, it's a more entertaining movie, but the second one is more ambitious, if that makes sense. So I kind of yeah. appreciated that, especially in the MCU, which can often be very non-ambitious. So yeah. the fact that he sort of is able to do his own, like, I think what I like about the Guardians movies, most of all, is they feel like personal movies. They feel like James Gunn movies. They feel like a mm-hmm. movie with a voice behind them. Whereas a lot of the MCU is designed to sort of be interchangeable for lack of a better word. It's, you know, they're designed to sort of look the same and feel the same. And those guardians movies really feel different. They feel like uh, a filmmaker actually putting his voice behind the movies. And that's, that's why I, I dig it. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm definitely going to revisit uh, volume two. Well, I guess I was, I was going to say before this new Superman movie comes out because of the the way that you laid it out, the, the sort of like maybe shared DNA of the two parent kind of story here, which I had never thought about before. Even as we were having this conversation, I didn't make that connection. So I'm glad that you brought that up. But honestly, I forgot that uh, Guardians Volume 3 comes out this year. So I'll probably rewatch the second one before that. But um, in any case, I think, uh, yeah, th- th- there's definitely a lot of potential here in Superman Legacy and uh, James Gunn is both a writer and director. So um, yeah, fingers crossed that it turns out uh, as good as we've all been hoping a a new Superman movie can be. So uh, we'll definitely be tracking all the casting and all that kind of stuff on SlashFilm.com in the months ahead. So stay tuned for that. And I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of the show. You can find more uh, about all of these stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link to that in the show notes as well. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.